0: Welcome back to another episode of the Golders Podcast. If you haven't already, click subscribe and look out for new episodes releasing every other Friday. We hope everybody also enjoyed our last episode with Inter Miami assistant coach Darren Powell. Before we introduce today's guest, we do want to mention our partnership with clothing company, Capo. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The northwest of England clothing brand strive to provide premium, aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capo uk. Now for today's guest, here is a snippet of what to expect.
1: It's very easy for us to, to give instructions, to write out programs, to put structures together, etc. But leading ourselves is, is the toughest job. And you know, regardless who you are, what age you are, you know, they're, they're, I'm sure there's a lot of parents listening to this as well, you're a leader. Um, you know, you lead a family, uh, you have kids, uh, you're a leader. But the first person you need to lead is yourself. And you can't lead others effectively if you don't, if you aren't able to lead yourself. And like I said, it's a it's a challenge every single day for, for all of us. But I would say the most important thing is, is being true to yourself and Where does that come from? That comes from a high level of self-awareness.
0: We're excited to welcome Alistair McCall onto today's episode of the Golders Podcast. Alistair is the author of six best-selling books, including Champion Minded. He is a performance coach who consults and advises on leadership, team culture, and mindset. As a consultant, author, and keynote speaker, Alistair has extensively travelled the world, sharing his insights and experience with some of the top leaders, performers teams, and organisations. For over 25 years, Alistair has consulted and worked with, amongst others, Olympic gold medalists, Grand Slam champions, Fortune 500 companies, professional sports teams, and NCAA colleges. Alistair, welcome and thank you for coming on to the Golders podcast today. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. So, first question, as always, gold dust to us is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does gold dust mean to you?
1: When when I think about gold dust, um, I'll be very, very honest with you here. And this will be an answer that probably you haven't had on your podcast before. But my very very thought thought of gold dust was from WWE if back in the day when there was uh, when there was a fighter called uh, i think he was called gold dust uh, or something along those lines i'm going i'm showing my age now probably 20 25 years ago but when i first saw the world gold dust i thought uh, there used to be this wrestler i don't know if you remember him at all um but he used to you know when he had uh, pinned one of his competitors or or before he had come on stage he'd sprinkle gold dust so when i very first saw uh, the title that's what i th- i thought of so that's my honest uh, first reaction but um on a more serious point point um for me when i think of gold dust i think of um one of my favorite words more and more and i know it might sound cliche but it's excellence a- and and excellence comes from the process and i know we're we're maybe going to be going into that a little bit later in the conversation but you know if you go into high performing environments high performing cultures Uh, there's gold dust being sprinkled every day. Um, You see it in the small details. Uh, You know, I I visited Brentford Football Club three weeks ago and just spent some time with their director there, head of performance, Ben Ryan. And you start to see behind the scenes and why there's been success there at a a club that's come into the strongest uh, league in the world. And, And I think it's the strongest league in sports. That might sound pretty biased especially that we're 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 football fans I'm I'm a massive football fan um, but when i think of gold dust i think about excellence being sprinkled around an environment for me one of the most important decisions you can make in life is the people you spend time with and the environment that you're in uh, so that's that would be my my thought about gold dust
2: well alistair you you've consulted for over 25 years you're a successful author Keynote speaker, you've worked with Olympic gold medalists, Grand Slam champions, Fortune 500 companies, and professional sports teams from around the world. So, what is it that you do with them? Well, I can put it into into three
1: categories because um, there's different areas there that you just mentioned there, with regards corporate, and regards sports, and and also, of course, education and, and military as well, where there's leadership and there's culture involved, but, um, you know, I'd break it into three, three areas. The first one is leadership. So I will work with, I will work with anybody in a leadership position. Uh, It doesn't matter what level it can be. So I've worked with leaders, managers, coaches, and at the recreational level, right up into Olympic level, premiership level, uh, et cetera, corporate world as well. Um, Fortune 500 companies, as you mentioned, there as well. So, just helping anyone who wants to be a a better leader. So, that would be the first area. Second area would be team culture. Uh, So, I go into uh, performance environments again. It can be a school, it can be a premiership football team, uh, rugby team, whatever it may be, corporate. I would, you know, maybe spend a day or sometimes even three days in a performance environment and just observe, take a lot of notes. Usually if I have two or three days on the final afternoon, you know, I will uh, present my observations to the leadership team and, and the management of, you know, where there can be improvements, et cetera. So uh, just analyzing everything from, you know, conversations, how meetings are held, uh, you know, time management, you know, the performance environment as such, how it's designed, also structure of personnel, et cetera. So, that, you know, there's so many different areas that, that we can go into there, you know. Again, I just mentioned uh, you know Brentford Football Club. It's just coming to my mind now because it's still fresh. But you know, just the small details of, of the smell of the reception uh, when I walked in a lobby or reception or whatever ever word used there in the UK. Um, I, I just noticed there was a, an interesting smell, a nice smell, and it was just a just a thought. And when I had gone up to, to Ben Ben Ryan's office, which he's the, the performance director there at, at Brentford. I saw there was a box of of whatever you would call it perfumes or you know air air sprays etc and I was just very interested I said you know the funny thing is the first thing I I I noticed when I walked into into your lobby into your reception was the smell and he said yeah we're exper- we're experimenting with different smells in different areas of the of the facility because smell has a very powerful effect on the mind and I was like, okay, wow. Okay, that's detail. That's detail right there. But it was just something in the subconscious, like the smell was interesting. And, um, you know, when Ben said that, you know, that's just that's just an, a small example of of, of small detail there. And, and I know I'm going off the subject there, but uh, so team culture was the second one. The third one is mindset. And that's, uh, you know, definitely where my book Champion Minded comes in. And my latest book, Habits That Make a Champion, where that's more aimed at the athlete. You know, it's been a, a very good Uh, seller in in colleges here in the United States as well. It's designed really, or it's been written really for a younger generation. But, you know, I have athletes of of senior level using it who who compete in age group level up to 70, 75, who enjoy the book, who get a lot out of it. Um, So those would be the three areas, leadership, team culture,
0: and mindset. On the back of that, Alistair, there was obviously a point where you went, this is what I want to do in my life. What inspired you to pursue that career path that you're now on and have been on, obviously, for, for quite a while now?
1: Well, being born, uh, just a little bit of history. I was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Um, left there when I was six uh, with my parents. We went to South Africa. That was in the 80s. So it was a very, it was, apartheid was still uh, in operation in South Africa at that time. So uh, we were secluded from the rest of the world. Uh, so sport became a massive part of our lives in South Africa in the 80s and the 90s because it became a, a very um strong domestic scene you know you might remember the cricket our rugby etc cetera, etc cetera. we became very very strong because we were just competing against each other all the time um, other countries couldn't come to South Africa and vice versa we couldn't go there either so our schooling system became um very much like like high level sports academies even in public schools we had amazing facilities you know a, a school would have eight 10 rugby fields and, and, you know, five cricket pitches and 12 tennis courts and a 50 meter Olympic pool. That was, that was at a public school back in those days. So, you know, we were able to uh, enjoy our sports a lot. I remember playing six, seven sports in a season at school. Um, So, you know, that was, that was my upbringing Uh, was always, always wanted to be a professional athlete. Uh, My first love was tennis when I was nine, 10 but it became very expensive as any other sport becomes when, when you get to a higher level and it requires coaching, it requires traveling and hotels, and we just couldn't afford that. Uh, so I took up uh, running, uh, did well there, became the South African under 16 champion in, in five, five kilometers, and then went into duathlon, which is biking and running. Uh, had a good professional career of 11 years, competed in five world championships, um, wanted to be world champion in my age group, just uh, got pipped in the last leg by 40 seconds to becoming world champion. So that was my my sporting background, massive, massive sports fan. Uh, But in the same time, I'd be working. Uh, So I was working as a fitness trainer in a gym. It was flexible hours, became a personal trainer, evolved to sports performance. Uh, Before the word uh, a sports performance coach was around, I was laughed at because that's what I called myself back in the 90s. Now it's become quite a, a term that's used. And, you know, I, I was very lucky in South Africa at the time. This is late 90s. I had a, a great clientele. I had Graham Smith, the South African cricket captain. I had, you know, James Dalton, the rugby captain. I had such a really good uh, group of athletes that I worked with. So I was submerged in that type of excellence, if you want to, so to, so to say, professional athletes. Um, and so that's that's really where my, my sports career started, so to say. Uh, went on to work a lot on the professional tennis tour. All the grand slams worked with the number ones in the world uh, tennis players uh, squash uh, you name it worked for the 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 dutch cricket federation worked for the dutch tennis federation and and from there uh, you know basically i would say about 10 years ago and i'm sorry if i'm waffling on here a little bit but about 10 years ago i i cut down the sports performance side a little bit and went more into leadership and team culture so i was still able to use those connections from that i'd built up before and, and I always believed if I wasn't enjoying what I'm doing, um, if I didn't wake up with passion and I get it sometimes, you know, we don't always wake up with passion and motivation, even if you love what you do. And I'm sure it's the same for you, David, as well. I know you, you work in football that you love the game. You love what you do, but you don't always wake up like super excited. I'm the same, even though I write books on motivation, um, you know, we've got to get ourselves going, but I was starting to not enjoy the sports performance side so much fitness side. And I wanted a new challenge. So uh, leadership and team culture was was what I was really interested in. And that's where I find myself today. Well, on the
0: back of that, obviously you are, you're a leader. So yes, you teach other people how to, uh, you help them how, in terms of leadership and what they could do to be better at what they do. But in order to lead others, you obviously first have to be able to lead yourself. For you what are some of your core values or guiding principles that enable you to become the leader that you are yeah and this is the toughest uh part of leadership
1: is is self-leadership um it's very it's very easy for us to to give instructions to write out programs to put structures together etc but leading ourselves is is the toughest job and you know regardless who you are, what age you are, you know, they're, they're, I'm sure there's a lot of parents listening to this as well. You're a leader. You know, you lead a family, uh, you have kids, uh, you're a leader, but the first person you need to lead is yourself. And you can't lead others effectively if you don't, if you aren't able to lead yourself. And like I said, it's a it's a challenge every single day for for all of us. But I would say the most important thing is is being true to yourself. And where does that come from? That comes from a high level of self-awareness and i think this is something in the past 3 or 4 years um david and keith that i've really looked into more is self evaluating myself um having a higher level of self awareness so for example the conversations i've had today how did i handle those you know how was my energy levels today how was my patience today with maybe certain people that i don't have as much patience with for example so uh you know those are those are important things for Uh, For me to move ahead, to lead myself better as well. Also having people around you, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be one or two people. It could be your spouse. It could be a a, a close work colleague who's able to be honest with you. You know, One of the most important things I tell coaches is that you've got to have an assistant, your right-hand man or woman, who's able to be honest with you, who's able to back you up as well during the tough times but who's able to to give you the honest truth if you've maybe gone out of line or said something that shouldn't, shouldn't have been said for example and you've got to have that humility as a leader or a coach to 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 listen to that and to take that on so i would say some of the core values and principles would be you know what i've just mentioned there as well self self awareness being a massive one because i think that's that that overlooks all the things of, of you know, respect and, and good manners and time management, you know, and that's another big thing as well of, you know, I was listening to um, Steph uh, Horton, the, the England former England football captain, just talking about the importance of time management. And, and, you know, especially when younger players come into the squad or into the team that, uh, you know, teaching them why it's important, not just be on time, but e- explaining why it's important to be on time of where that leads to. Uh, when it comes to high performance
2: and excellence, so when you're actually working with athletes, you help to share what cultures look like or high performing cultures. But when you when we're working with athletes, invariably we're dealing with some of the time, most of the time, some of the disappointments. So you mentioned earlier your book, which I got uh, most recently, Champion Mindy, which I'm finding. A riveting read for any anyone that uh, has not got that. I implore them to go out and buy it. But can you share with us some of those? There's five steps that you mentioned in in Champion Minded to help an athlete go through those a process because it is everything we do is a strategy. We learn to we learn to do things. We also learn habits that actually are not, not helpful for us. So, what are those five steps that you recommend? I'm going to have to be honest.
1: It's been quite a while since I've I've actually gone through uh, the, my book Champion Minded. Um, so I actually had to to pull up the notes, which I'm I'm, I'm going to read for the listener, uh, because that that explains it best, and then I can elaborate on on each point as well. So. Uh, but yeah, out of the, the 450 pages, I had to go searching for that. So you gave, I had some some homework as well. So um, the first step is on dealing with disappointed is champion-minded athletes allow themselves to feel the pain of disappointment, but then they let it go. Disappointment is natural. It shows that you care. When you are giving your best effort and you don't get the desired result, it's very difficult to forget about it immediately. Allow yourself some space for a natural emotional response. Give yourself time to decompress and to calm down. By feeling the disappointment, you can then release and let it go. Experiencing disappointment only makes victory that much sweeter. So any we've all experienced disappointment as, you know, I, I take it that 99% that are listening to this podcast are involved in sport in some way, be it coaching, administration, uh, athletes, for example, but we've all experienced disappointment you know, how long do we hold on to that disappointment for? And being a former professional athlete myself and having massive disappointments in my career, I realized that they taught me the the greatest lessons. And, you know, wanting to be world champion and finishing second was probably the most disappointing feeling that I had in sports. But the more time went on, the more I realized that I'd achieved something pretty special being second in the world in, 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 my age group, but still I didn't reach my goal. But I think this it also leads to excellence and success is, you know, what I gave for those three, four years to get to that point was, was excellence was gold dust every single day, just, you know, putting in the reps, putting in the time, eating, like, you know, my body fat was three, 4%. I could not have done any more. So I had to learn how to handle that disappointment. Uh, but, you know, you this is something that I've tried to pass on to athletes is that, you know, you've got to, you've got to feel disappointment. You know, we, we've known managers of teams in rugby and football where they've let their athletes feel the pain in the, in the change rooms, you know, of like, I want you to feel this. Maybe Alex Ferguson did it and and Graham Henry did it with the all blacks as well, where he wants that the players to feel the pain of this and disappointment of, of, of loss that you don't want to feel like this again. Now, is there any guarantee of that? Of course not. Sports is an uncontrollable. Uh, there's so many factors that, that need to be take, taken into consideration. But um, disappointment is a, is a motivation uh, in terms of, of, you know, you don't want to feel, feel that very often. Moving on to the second one. And rather than a stumbling block, champion-minded athletes view disappointment as a stepping stone. If you don't release the feelings of disappointment, they will continue to weigh you down with more frustration and negativity. Instead of letting it fester and drag you farther away from your goal, use the disappointment as fuel to motivate you and to move forward. So, just as I mentioned in that previous one, you know, you can either let it break you, or you can, or have it make you. Um, in terms of of the motivation, it is good to feel disappointment, but you need to know when to let that go. I was v- visiting Glasgow Rangers. About four weeks ago, uh, and uh, I know Michael Beal well, and have spent some time at at Rangers, and uh, they had just lost the Cup final, the League Cup final, was it to Celtic uh, on this Sunday, and I was visiting them on the Monday, and I was just very curious how that how that atmosphere was going to be, you know, with with going in there the next day after a Cup final loss, and uh, one or two people I came across, have I've known from my previous visit. Uh, Amy McDonald, the the woman's team manager there as well. I just, you know, I just mentioned, so how, how is it this morning? How's how's Michael? So it came in, he sets the environment, the tone of that. Yesterday was disappointing, but today we move on. And we have, you know, a season ahead of us. We have other things to go for. And that's the mark of a champion right there. They're disappointed, absolutely disappointed. But today we, we're we here. We're here to work on moving ahead and and use it as motivation. The third thing is in dealing with disappointment, champion-minded athletes are aware that disappointment provides an opportunity to make changes and adapt. I love this one. This is actually probably one of my favorite ones. They use the loss to learn and how to handle difficult situations in the future. Initially, disappointments may set you back, but move forward uh, and use them as valuable feedback. And this is something with a growth mindset, as I think you mentioned there a little bit earlier, uh, Keith, is champion-minded athletes and people, leaders. Coaches are growth-minded and use failure as feedback and use it as motivation. And I always like to say that failure is not the opposite of success. It's a part of it. Uh, I've never met somebody successful, in, in, it doesn't matter in what field, who hasn't failed multiple times over. It is, in fact, the only path to success is failure. But what have I seen in, in elite people and elite athletes and, and, and uh, performers is they have a different relationship with failure. They're not broken by it. They're disappointed by it, as we just spoke about, but they're motivated by it and they learn from it. So the relation, I always believe that the sooner you can teach a young athlete on how to handle failure and of course, success, uh, and especially where there's sports, where there's fame and there's money, uh, which is, you know, young, good footballers, for example, it's important to teach how to handle success and to handle, handle failure equally. Um, I think those are key, key areas for for us uh, as coaches and leaders. Number four, uh, champion-minded athletes reset quickly. They feel the disappointment and then they release it. They use it as motivation to get one step closer to the goal. They're able to find a positive and learn from the difficult situations. So it's never easy to fail and try to look at the positives. But it's something when I work and, and consult with athletes is I usually give them a day or two to let it settle. Uh, so for example, if an athlete had a tough loss on Sunday, I would say to them, uh, let, let, let's whenever you're ready, be it tomorrow afternoon or Tuesday to get on on a call and and just you know, have an an assessment and go through it, for example, but you know, it just gives a little bit of time for the emotion to settle down. But one of the first things I always do is ask them what positives did you take from from it? you know, what did you learn? Because if you're asking that question too soon to the defeat, uh, there's just emotion involved. And of course, it's difficult to see a positive when when you've just lost. I think it would be one of the the worst questions you could ask in a in a dressing room after a cup final loss is what positives can you take from the game today? <laughs> I just don't think we're in the the right frame of mind for for that conversation. So there's you know, that's another podcast we can go on to in terms of timing of conversations in in coaching and leadership. And then the final one uh, in dealing with disappointment. Champion-minded athletes are process-driven and not outcome-driven. They understand that failure is part of success. Disappointments are valuable experiences that help you come back stronger and more prepared for the next time you are pushed to your limits. So those are five ways in which I believe that you can deal with disappointment quicker.
2: So going through that process takes time. Having the ability to be able to communicate what is required in the moment and having a timely sense of awareness of what's required to meet the need of the the client or the team. Do you have any experiences where you can share how you communicate those messages to them? I know you've mentioned about the delay. How do you get to that point? How do you know that it is the right time to actually listen?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's the relationship that you've built up with the athlete if you're working with an individual or with the team, for example, of when the best time is to uh, relay that message you know this is really this comes down to let's just take for example the the, the different football managers and the different styles you know marino alex ferguson klopp pep you know ten Hag. We, the list can go on where they're all successful managers in their in their own rights but with so many different styles of of leadership and this is why i love studying leadership is is because of the you know there's not one way to be a great leader uh, we all have different strengths and weaknesses, and I'm sure if you ask those six managers and coaches, they would probably have different answers as to when they relay bad news. Um, it could be straight away, or they could give it time—three, uh, four days—before they address that. For example, it, you know. So, but in in my opinion, I always like to know. I, I like my athletes to feel disappointment and the pain of defeat, because I don't want them to get used to that. I want them to, uh, I want that to become a a kind of a motivation is that you don't want this feeling. So how do I do that? You know, I, I, you know, you'll never go in with the details straight away. I usually give it 24 hours before we want to talk about it, because like I said, emotions are involved. You know, maybe it's something in in your coaching or, or a choice or a decision or didn't put on the right players, whatever it may be. So everything is still fresh uh some players are disappointed that they didn't get to play for example you know there's so many different factors there's so many different emotions going on the players that were you know i'm just using football or rugby for an example there's so many different emotions going on the players that were on the pitch the players that were on the bench players that that didn't get to start uh, or didn't get to come on for example there's so many different emotions so but i think it's important to feel the disappointment and then you know like i said i usually give it 24 hours before we'll go in and analyze it you know, I, I know, for example, at, at Rangers there, when I came in in the morning, Michael was busy with the team at 9 a.m. analyzing video from, you know, less than 12 hours before, preparing the right message for the players that would be coming in later
2: on in, in, in the afternoon. So, you know, every every is different. And then with that, Alistair, we're straight after a game, the managers right in front of the press, which are actually drilling down and trying to open up some some avenues where they get the next story is timing for whatever message needs to be articulated, but it is about emotion, but it's actually, do we make decisions when we're on a, an even keel or do we actually say things at an inappropriate time because of, uh, or it might be the appropriate time, but, you know, that how much of that message is lost to players when we've had a serious law, we had a bad loss. Lots of key messages that you share in there without shadow about to be a little bit more reserved around when we share our opinion about things.
1: Yeah, well, never get personal. Uh, That's number one. Um, So never go in on a player. Maybe there was an own goal. There was a bad decision, a pass back, you know, which got intercepted, for example. So, you know, never blame a person. And this is something I love about the Mercedes Formula One uh, team culture with Toto Wolf. And they've been one of the most successful Formula One teams in the last eight years is they never blame the person. They blame the problem. So, you know, why did this problem occur instead of blaming people for why it occurred? Because there's, you know, especially in a team environment, you know, there's so many factors to be involved. It's not just the last person who touched the ball. Uh, before the you know before the mistake was made Uh, it's a series of of things that can happen so um, I think never getting personal never uh, blaming in front of of others if there's the hard conversations to be had those have got to be had separately personally away from uh, the rest of the players the rest from the staff for example Uh, you know we all know the saying praise in public criticize in private that is is very true but you know once the emotions have settled a bit like I said at least 24 hours look for the positives of what we did do well on Sunday, where we have improved. So you're lifting that spirit. You know, if you're just going in there and, and breaking players down and breaking the team down, that's where it can go very wrong. And as you mentioned, something very critical there, uh, Keith, is especially in, in football um, or high-level sport, There's a there's a microphone and a camera in your face, you know, pretty much five minutes after a defeat. You know, I always like to remind people, like, if you just, if you work at a bank or you work in a job, and you've just made a loss, a bad decision or you made a mistake of a three percent interest instead of instead of a, a one point five. you know and now now a camera and a microphone is put in your face to describe the situation and why you made this mistake. Can you imagine that? And that's what it's like to be to be in the spotlight is um you know, every mistake is is analyzed is seen by the public, for example. so yeah, it's it's become quite a brutal uh, environment.
0: I think especially in um, in sports, Alistair, and, and football probably being the primary one, everybody has an opinion and everybody knows what they should do if they were in that position. And I think the, the reality of that is until you're in that position, I don't think you ever truly know. Look, it must be very, very challenging for managers and for people that are in the limelight that spend all this time prepping and, trying to get things in a place and processes in place to to get success that if they don't, all of a sudden everybody else knows and they don't.
1: Exactly. I mean, and also, also, you know, just today, these days, um, and I think i put a tweet out, um, you know, you're just not give, given any time to establish a culture in, the, if we can just use the premiership, for example, and I'm sorry if I keep bringing that one up, but you know, you've got to hit the ground running. You've got to you've got to have a buy-in immediately. Your first 10 games are are crucial. Uh, you know, we look at Graham Potter, who I believe is a fantastic manager coach, but you're not given time. Arteta, Klopp, they were given time. But were their results phenomenal in the first two seasons, three seasons? No, not really. Uh, you know, at the standard of those clubs. So, you know, you've you've got to hit the ground running these days. You've got to have a buy-in quickly. Yeah, culture is becoming more and more challenging because we're becoming to such a results out, uh, outcomes and results uh, business.
0: Well, that ties in nicely. Really, you've talked quite a bit now about excellence. Mentioned it after the in the uh, after the first question, and it's something that's come up quite a few times. So, in your opinion, what's the difference between striving for success and striving for excellence? Okay, so. There's two
1: things here. Is is that you know success is a good thing, and and success is is something that we all should define for ourselves. So if I was to ask our listeners right now, how do you define success for yourself? How do you define success for your career? Would you be able to answer that question? Do you have clarity on that? Because you know, if I if I ask a room of people who wants to be successful, of course all the hands go up, and then when I ask the second question of who can define what success is for themselves, less than half those hands will go up. In fact, less than 20% of those hands will go up. So here we are, we wanna be successful, but we haven't defined it. So success for me quite simply is is an outcome, is uh, something that's at the end. It's it's a result, it's an outcome, which is an uncontrollable. As we're striving for success is something for me that's a controllable, it's our everyday habits, our everyday processes, it's something that that is achievable in terms of, you know, there's there's certain quotes that fly around that, you know, we can chase excellence. And, you know, I think it was Vince Lombardi that had a, a quote out there as well. There's many. But for me personally, success is an outcome, a result. So if I go back to my world championship race, for example, wanting to be world champion, success for me was being world champion at that stage. However, I missed it and came second. Is that failure? No. So for me, what became important was the excellence that required to get to that stage. Because you can you can do everything right. You know you can be Simone Biles at the uh, at the Olympics, who had a you know she had a very uh, tough and poor Olympics by her standards in Tokyo. Um, but her preparation was probably you know excellent. She was uh, spreading gold dust every day in the gym and 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 you know getting everything right. And then just that final hurdle. It didn't happen, for example. So for me, excellence is the daily process. Excellence is a a controllable. Excellence for me is an attitude. So every single day you go in with, you get to choose your attitude as well. You know, strive for excellence, but define your success. Know what what it is you're trying to achieve. I think that's the most important thing is, you know, have clarity on what success looks like for you. And, you know, when I work with my, my mentorship program, for example, my mentees, you know, always, I always want them to define what success is for themselves, their life, and what success looks like in their career. Are you able
2: to answer those, those two questions? Well, you, you've also mentioned about culture and working with teams, Alistair. What are some strategies you use to promote open communication and collaboration within the team? And how do you foster a sense of psychological safety?
1: Yeah, there's there's two things there um, uh, to that that question. The first one, of course, is it starts with the leader. Uh, it all starts with the leader in terms of how things are done, how communication is delivered, um, the values, the principles. For for example, they they all start there. But I think the big word for both of these things, um, you know, the first one is how do you foster better collaboration, communication. And uh, the second part where that was psychological safety, well, there's one word that comes to mind, and that's trust. Uh, if there's no trust that's been built, then these, these things are, are virtually impossible. You know, trust is where it all starts with buy-in, um, with psychological safety, of course, of being able to have the hard conversations, uh, to have an open and honest culture. And, you know, that takes time, you know, if I can, in my book, lead with purpose, make an impact, which, which is also a great book for coaches and leaders could, because it's 80% coaching, um, sports, uh, examples of, of leaders and coaching. And I talk a lot in there about Klopp and, and Arteta, for example, as well, but, uh, hopefully I can remember this is the trust. So the T stands for, it takes time. It takes time to build trust. So, For these things that you're just mentioning about about collaboration, good communication, psychological safety, it takes time. The second one is R, which stands for relationships. It's important to build the relationships over a a period of time, Um, getting to know your people, not just your players or your workers, for example. The U stands for understanding. Great leaders are empathetic. They're, They're able to understand their players and their people better. To understand what they're going through. You know, all of us are going through something at different stages in our lives. We can have good days, bad days, something in our relationships, et cetera. So leaders are able to identify this. So an understanding of your people is important. The S stands for sharing accolades. We all know that a leader who takes all the all the glory and, and blames others for the mistakes, uh, we know is not going to be going to be trusted, and there's going to be no psychological safety there either. And then the final T is uh, tr- truthfulness is always being honest. So uh, for me, that question really comes down to one word, trust, if there's going to be psychological safety, because why should I have, uh, and this is why sometimes this is a very good point. And I've seen this in the last three, four years. So visiting rugby league teams in Australia, cricket teams in England, uh, football teams, all, all these different teams, doesn't matter. doesn't matter what sport it is, is hiring mental coaches, wellness coaches, which is great. However, do I want to sit down with somebody that maybe has this title, but I don't have a relationship with them? So I, I you know, I'm going to be reluctant or I'm not going to feel safe telling them what my problems are because I'm scared that might get leaked out to the coach or the, the manager, for example. So, you know, it's great to have these things in place. But first of all, there has to be relationships uh, in, in place as well. Again, which 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 takes time. Uh, you know, I've spoken to a few Professional footballers, Premiership footballers, who won't use their club's mental mental coach or whatever you want to call it, uh, wellness coach because of just a fear of telling you my problems and maybe that might get to to the head coach, which might jeopardize my my place in the team or my contract at the end of the year, for example. So, yeah, psychological safety is is a huge one, especially these days, especially in the corporate environment as well.
0: You've talked a bit previously in this conversation around culture and how important it is but also that you sometimes might not be given the time to do that but you'll have been in environments where you'll have had or seen challenges within a culture so what are some of the challenges that that you face when it comes to building positive team cultures and how have you helped them overcome the challenges um so yeah obviously the the higher uh
1: more pressured sports that are more visible it's it's very challenging to build a culture uh, because the leaders aren't given time. You know, I believe it takes three to five years to build a sustainable, successful culture. We've seen with Klopp, and we've seen with Arteta, for example. But these days, a lot aren't given the time. But let's look at just uh, even grassroots level, or or schools or clubs, for example. Is you know, it's it really comes down to to those relationships that you're building. Um, challenges really can start with the leadership. If if you don't have the right person in the leadership position, that's where it all starts. And, and I'm talking all the way to the top, uh, the board, you know, you can have good people in between, but there's still going to be that blockage uh, in the pipeline, so to say, of, you know, letting that filter from, you know, top to bottom, if you want to want to say it like that. So it really all starts with the leader. If you You don't have the right people at the very top. It's very difficult to have a successful culture. You can have great characters as as players. There can be great assistant coaches, et cetera, et cetera. But if if there's not that good leadership uh, at the top, then that's going to be a massive challenge. In fact, it's almost impossible to have a great culture without a great leader. Uh, It's that simple. Other challenges are having strong leadership to to be able to move certain people out of places that, are, that people that don't fit the culture. Sometimes there's too many people that are staying in positions uh, within um, that are not contributing to the culture. Uh, you know, I've seen it, and I'm not going to mention names of, of of these teams or clubs, but let's just say senior players have hung around too long and have had too much influence. Uh, on the culture almost in a way feeling entitled uh, to be there so they've you know obstructed uh, a certain a better culture so to say those are some of the challenges I've, I've come across it really starts with people uh, you know systems and structures and that are, are you know the x's and the o's that's that's different um, it really comes down to character of people are the biggest challenges if you've got poor leadership it's it's impossible to have uh, a great culture
2: so in and around those environments, you'll have seen excellence, you'll have seen good, you'll have seen poor. How do you measure, how do you personally measure the progress and success? And what metrics do you use to track that improvement? Yeah, um, if we're looking at teams, you know, we've got to,
1: again, define what success is for a team. Um, and, and as we know, at the higher level sports, the less time you're given. Uh, For this progress is not always seen on the field. It's not always seen on the table of results. But as we've seen, you know, that that can have an impact on your position as a leader, as a coach. The way I base a a great culture is the experience of people that enjoy being there, that get along with each other. Uh, They love going to work. They, they love uh, practicing, traveling together, all these things. That for me is the sign of a good culture because when you have a culture of high collaboration, good chemistry, that's where the magic can happen. You know, if if there's ego entitlement, if there's, you know, just the wrong people involved, that's, you know, that, that's going to be an obstacle to culture. If we look at, for example, success in terms of, of, of a culture, sustained success, that's the most difficult. In terms of years and years of having a high level. Now, you know, if you have a look at Duke University, which is a which is a university here in America that I that I've consulted to, uh, you know, their basketball program was one of the best in America for you know for many years. Uh Mike Krzyzewski, coach K, uh, was there for 43 seasons. And, you know, he was able to be successful for those 42 seasons. Now, does that mean he won the championship every year? No, they won five ncaa titles in 42 years and you might think well well that's not very successful but if you're finishing in the top four or the top three most of those seasons that's sustained success so a lot of the times people only see success as trophies as you know finishing finishing first for example uh that's almost an impossible uh, scenario you know you're always going to be beaten at some stage So defining success is what is success for us? Is it you know finishing top eight, finishing top four, uh, top two as a bonus, for example? Being realistic, I find today that a lot of uh, you know, especially professional sports teams and clubs, the expectations are just they're not uh, they're not realistic. Uh, You know, we just see with the amount of managers in the Premiership that have you know I don't know, I just read this morning that Eric Ten Hag is almost one of the, I think the fifth or sixth longest standing manager in the league now. I mean, it was just yesterday. It feels like he got, he got employed at Manchester United. Uh, that's how ridiculous it's become is that there's just an unrealistic expectation. But again, getting back to, you know, the question that that David asked earlier about success is that you've got to be realistic in what is, what is success, regardless of what level you're you're working at at the moment, grassroots academy, uh, et cetera so that was that's how i would um describe a, a
0: successful culture really good answer alistair and i'm just going to move on now for the final question for you and what's been a, an excellent podcast with with some really good insights if you had to list the qualities of an elite mindset what would be on your list
1: um
0: first of all purpose so regardless
1: What you do where you are, corporate sports, education, military, whatever it may be, what is your greater purpose? Because you know, motivation is going to be fleeting. We spoke about that as well earlier in the in the podcast. Is I love love what I do, but am I always motivated? No. So how do I stay engaged? How do I bring my best today? Sometimes my best is more than others, is is through my purpose of what is my purpose is to impact as many people as possible and to help them find their purpose as well. So purpose would be the first one. The second one I'd say would be uh, discipline. It takes a high level of discipline to be elite or at a high level in anything. Um, you know, as Jocko Willing says, discipline is freedom. So I think that's that also links to to the success question is how do I define success? Is being able to have the freedom of choice to wake up and, and do what I, I love to do with who I love to do it with. So, uh, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to be in this position today where I can choose my day. I can choose uh, to be on this podcast or not, which I'm very, very happy and, fort- and fortunate to be on this podcast. Uh, so for me, that's success. So yeah, so the, the second one would be high level of discipline. Uh, you cannot You cannot reach any high level without a high level of discipline. And then I think the third one would be attitude you know, attitude is another, another name for mindset. If you don't have the right attitude, it's impossible to, to achieve excellence. If you don't have the right attitude, it's impossible to, uh, to achieve your potential as well. And that's a choice. All three of these that I mentioned are are a choice. And, you know, if, even if you were just to write down those three things, you, you know, your purpose. Discipline and attitude, and how you can be better in those areas, or define those areas, what that looks like for you. I believe that you can, um, you can definitely improve your outcomes and results moving forward.
2: Alistair, thank you. By the way, this has been, you know, we're just on an hour or just to show, but we could go on and stay on because I think there's we're we're not even scratching the surface here. We we're sort of facilitating and listening, and there's so much depth behind it. So. Can I thank you on behalf of David and myself and the listeners, and just uh, continue doing your good work? How can you be reached? Yeah, um,
1: I'm a massive Twitter Twitter fan. I'm very active on there, so it's it's uh, my name at Alistair McCall. So I interact there as well. Um, Instagram at uh, be champion minded is my um, account name at be champion minded, and then through my website alistairmccall.com. So three very simple areas you can uh, you can reach me or, or interact. so but thank you so much for thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation and and uh, I've also been able to to listen to a few of your your episodes as well which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I have a, a whole bunch of notes here. Uh, those that are listening probably won't see this because it's not on video but I have a whole lot of notes here from from shows um because you know I learn from everywhere. learn from absolutely everywhere. Uh, a good day for me is is learning. And I make sure that happens every single day through reading, listening to podcasts like this one as well. So yeah, thank you.